Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Uh, this is on page uh, 1079 of our Bibles, um, starting at verse 1 of chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, and their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to have you with us today as we continue on in our series, Life to the Full. Uh, as we ask the question, what do we want for every member of Trinity Inner South? You'll see at the bottom of your sermon outline there a working answer to that. And in week one, we tackled the first sentence. We want every Christian at TIS to be growing in their love for God, their devotion to him, living each part of their lives for him, praising him. And we use the word magnification to sum that up, a way of living that seeks to bring glory to God in all that we do. In week two, we said we want every Christian to be growing in maturity, deepening in word and prayer. And we saw that maturity wasn't simply a case of growing in our head knowledge about God, but rather being conformed to be more like Jesus in our hearts and in our minds and our behaviours. Last week we focused on the third sentence there. We want every Christian to feel a strong sense of belonging to our church, understanding what drives us, our convictions integrated, well cared for and caring for others. And we use the word membership to sum that one up. So now we've seen that God saves people and calls them to live their whole lives for his glory. He's maturing us as Christians, conforming us to the image of Jesus, his son whom he loves. That God is gathering us together into communities like ours here at Trinity Inner South. We now kind of make the turn in the series and say, well, given God is doing all of this, what does God want from us? What does he want us to do? So the goal of today is a simple one. 
to convince you all that God calls us to minister, that we've been saved and brought into communities for a purpose and we exist now to serve God. One of the ways that we minister is by being on mission together, sharing the good news of Jesus. That gets its own sermon next week. And given we are living all of life to magnify God's glory, of course we serve God in every aspect of our lives, in our workplaces, our homes and our neighbourhoods and the communities that we're a part of. And we'll start to flesh that out a little bit more in the five Bible studies that will follow this series as we ask our community groups to help each other think through what it looks like to live our whole lives for Jesus on our first week in magnification. But as we talk about ministry today, I'm focusing in on what we mean by serving God in his church, building it up. Because if we really do exist now to serve God, as I'll put it to you today, serving God in the church and in the world is not an either-or equation, it's a both-and equation for every Christian. As we get underway, again, I want to thank a guy from Sydney called Tim Clemens for his work. I've learned heaps from him this week. I don't mean to sound like a broken record on this, but for me, it's a matter of integrity and preaching. I knew where I wanted to go with this series. I found someone who I thought did a really good job, and I've been uh, building on his work. Uh, I apply the second half of this sermon very differently uh, to Tim, but the first half is definitely a lot of Tim in there. So as we think about ministry, I want to first convince you that if your trust is in Jesus, you're actually now a priest called to do ministry. To do that, we're going to do some what we call biblical theology together, which sounds hard, but not really. Biblical theology simply traces an idea through the Bible to see how themes that begin in the Old Testament find their ultimate fulfilment in Jesus and then his church in the New Testament. So let's get to it, and there's an outline in your leaflet for the note-takers. So to understand this concept of priesthood, the first thing I want you to grasp is that the Bible actually uses the term priesthood both individually and corporately, and you really don't want to get the two mixed up. So when the Old Testament talks of an individual priesthood, it's referring to the guys who served in God's temple offering sacrifices as instructed to deal with sin so that a holy God could live amongst his people. We did five weeks in Ludvicus back in 2013, helping us to see how for Christians this can give us great insight into Jesus' death for us. As in Levitical times, priests performed various sacrifices, say with a lamb, and the person would lay their hands symbolically on uh, transferring their guilt uh, to the animal with a hand on their head. Kind of sounds gruesome to us, but the priest would then slit the throat of the animal in a very ceremonial way, burn certain parts so that the worshipper would be reminded of the penalty of sin, but also that God had provided a way for sin to be dealt with by his grace. And ideally, that would change the person's heart, that they would kind of walk out of that ceremony with a renewed heart to serve God and live in accordance with his laws, bringing great glory to him. For us as Christians, that imagery and that background helps us to understand in the New Testament the great work of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. It shapes how we think about what we do. When I kind of point to the communion table, it's not there because we do it once a month, but as we uh, share communion together. And anyway, the series is online. You might like to go back to it if uh, all of that is new to you. But that's what I mean when I'm talking about the individual concept of priesthood in the Bible. So let's get our head around the corporate idea. Come with me to Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 6, 
which you'll find on uh, page 74 of your blue Bibles on your seats. Uh, it's good to open it up if you can, and it's also on the screen up behind me as well. As you do turn there, the background is that God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, and they have now come to camp at Mount Sinai. So let's read together from Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. It's in that last verse there you see that ideal of the corporate priesthood, which is quite distinct from the individual priesthood that God creates. Corporately, all Israel, if they keep God's covenant with them, are to be a treasured possession to God, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation serving him. As this picture is built up through the Old Testament, they are to serve God, bringing glory to him, living as a light to the nations. As we come to the New Testament, both the individual and corporate priesthood are present and come to their fulfilment. But again, let me be clear, you really don't want to get the two mixed up. So come with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, which you'll find on page 1211 of your blue Bibles, and also on the screen behind me. And my short summary, I guess, as you turn there of Hebrews is that it shows us that we now have a great high priest, individually speaking, in Jesus. As Hebrews 10 kicks off in verse 1 there, as pointed out in the law, encapsulated in the first five books of the Old Testament, It talks about the individual priesthood and the sacrificial system. And it refers to them as a shadow of the good things to come. Jesus is then quoted in verses 5 to highlight some of the problems with this. And then our author draws a comparison between Jesus as priest and the Old Testament priest. So pick it up with me on verse 10 there, which is up on the screen, uh, a few words in. Whereas people who live this side of the cross of Jesus, we can say, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If you're just checking out who Jesus is, that's a great summary of the good news, the gospel of Jesus as we call it, that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, yours and mine. And as people place their trust in Jesus, his sacrifice pays the sin debt we've incurred before God in full and it's finished. Jesus only needed to do it once because he is the ultimate high priest making the ultimate sacrifice. He's the only priest you will ever need in the individual sense of the word. 
And as much as I'd like to go on a little sidetrack on the theological errors of thinking of me as a priest in the individual sense of the word, we don't have time, but someone please send them in the SMS question something along the lines of, hey Matt, why don't you like being called a priest? (laughs) And uh, we'll answer that a little later in the service. Because for now I want to focus in on now the corporate priesthood. Because if we get this, we get why ministry is important for all of us. Come forward with me now to, if you've got your Bibles open, to page 1236, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And uh, as you turn to it, uh, some context. The Apostle John is opening up the book of Revelation. We're getting into that in term three here as a church, where he's recording for us a revelation given to him via one of God's angels. And as he kicks off, he pronounces a blessing of grace and peace from the eternal God, his sevenfold spirit, and as we pick up in verse 5, also from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Then John, in kind of unfiltered praise, says to Jesus, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve his God and Father, to him, being Jesus, be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And we see, just from a kind of quick rip through the Bible, that this great desire expressed by God way back in Exodus, centuries and centuries before, to create in himself a people who are his treasured possession, serving him as a kingdom of priests, a desire never fully realised in the Old Testament, now through Jesus, finds its fulfilment in his church here now on earth. That was the goal of Jesus freeing us from our sins by his blood so that every Christian might serve God as his priesthood in the corporate sense of the word as God's church. We are saved to serve. It's as simple as that. We have good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do and we're called to do them. Yes, there is an all of life bringing glory to God aspect But much of the New Testament actually focuses on our calling to minister to one another within the church and to build it up. In our sermon on maturity two weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians 4 and the word of God-driven gifts God gives his church. And it will just pop up a little bit of an end of a passage there on screen in Ephesians 4.12. That God's given all these word gifts to his church, apostles and prophets in a foundational way, pastors, evangelists, teachers in in a current context, so that... To equip, sorry, so to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And as Ephesians uh, continues, there's an image of us growing in maturity as a body of Christ. And in verse 16 we read, From him, being Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And each part simply means all of us, that's each one of us. Yet it's important to remember at this point that Jesus, the one who issues us this command to serve, is no sort of distant and aloof king, as Katie made a good point of in the kids' talk this morning, living for power, he doesn't live for his power, he doesn't live for his privileges like the kings and rulers of this earth. Jesus does exactly the opposite. He's the ultimate servant king, giving up the glory that is rightfully his, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be scorned and headed to the cross, to die for our sin as the greatest act of service there ever was, out of great love for us. 
Today's Bible reading was chosen to help us have the right heart reaction to this call to serve Jesus and his church. There's a lot in this that we could delve into, but in essence, one of the main points is that it's a wonderful story of Jesus setting an example, washing his disciples' feet to make an important point to them that life following him is about service. As John 13 says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So as we consider the cost of service to us, as we perceive it, we have to keep in mind the one it is who asks us to serve. It's Jesus who knows a thing or two about cost. But also it's our Lord and King who loves us, who promises that as we serve him, he will bless us. He longs to do that, and Jesus always keeps his promises. Well, as we come to apply this, I want to just talk through very quickly a, a brief case study of why the priesthood of all believers matters. If you look across most denominations, churches over time tend to get this wrong in a variety of ways, Anglo-Catholics, Charismatics, the list could go on. But I actually want to focus on our heritage as evangelical Anglicans. Now, evangelical, don't be afraid of the term, simply means a high view of the Bible, great clarity that Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God, and a strong focus on evangelism. One of the ways, and there's a few, there's a bit more SMS question fodder for you, one of the ways that evangelical Anglicans have historically got this wrong is how we think about pastoral care. Perhaps more pronounced in generations past, there was this idea that pastoral care was the responsibility of kind of the clergyman, the pastor. In older generations, a huge load was placed on pastors equating uh, pastoral care to an ordained clergyman sitting in my lounge room with a cup of tea. But I think in younger generations too, we, we put it quite differently, but we still differentiate and put an expectation on pastors when we say things like, well, such and such isn't a great preacher, but they're a great pastor, which usually means I don't get a lot out of their sermons, but I love the way they kind of make me feel one-on-one. -on -one. Or you can say it the other way around. You know, a great preacher, but pff, no good at pastoring whatsoever. We're kind, of, we're kind of putting an expectation that this pastoring, kind of pastoral care, is a key part of the role. Because, you know, let's face it, pastoral care has the word pastor in it, surely they must be uh, sort of similar. And what ends up happening is that vocational pastors historically spent huge amounts of time on pastoral care and visitation, which usually comes at the cost of many other things, like preaching, for example, which is why the phrase goes, you know, not a great preacher, but you know, a great pastor and things like that. And it also comes at the expense of actually investing in people that will invest in others, and let's be honest, leading the mission usually falls completely off the radar because there's a, there's a demand. People will notice if you don't have a sermon ready on Sunday. If people have a high uh, expectation on pastoral care, they'll notice that as well. What people don't question you about is how much time have you spent leading the mission this week, which is why I think the church in Australia is in such a bad state with the average church in decline with about 75 people in attendance. Whereas a healthy church knows that the pastor doesn't have a special hotline to God. 
You don't, you know, when I got ordained, I didn't get a special phone number that none of you have. A healthy church knows that it has one priest in the individual sense of the word, and his name is Jesus. And the priesthood of all believers can approach him in prayer for each other's concerns. We can be an example to one another. We can be available. We can care. We can encourage. And like all areas of ministry, we want to have teams of people who see it as their ministry. And in the post-planning world, our pastoral care team is getting itself reorganised and is recruiting. And if that's something you'd like to be a part of, speak to Claire Chittleborough. Claire's here today. I saw that she's waving her hand. Or Cam, who's also up front. They'd love to have a chat with you about it. And while we're here, this kind of idea of pastor in the New Testament is actually used also almost synonymously with teacher. So the main way someone is a pastor is through proclaiming, teaching and applying the word of God, which of course can happen in any context, but a key way we do it is here on a Sunday. So I would go as far as to say if someone can't preach, they're not a good pastor. We can't kind of put a differentiation between the two. Anyway, I'll stop there. So how do we take this idea that we've all been saved to serve God as a priesthood together as this pertains to the very clear call for us to work together in building his church? As we come to consider this, it's quite, it'd be quite easy to preach a theologically correct sermon on this and just leave us all none the wiser uh, and feeling a little bit kind of guilty or overburdened about that. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time actually talking about some of the context into which this call to serve God comes into our lives. I think it comes, and many of you will process it, through the lens of already feeling overburdened and spread a little thin across a whole range of activities and responsibilities in life. As a church, I think we live in an age and in a culture that doesn't do us any favours at all when it comes to longing to live the good life, a life full of purpose, hearing and applying the Word of God. I was at a training course this week where it was pointed out to us by an organisational psychologist that we live in an age for the first time in history of information overload. Children today, and it'll be interesting to chat to some of the young guys up front and some of the young girls as well, where it was pointed out to us that kids today, sort of growing up in school and in a connected world, what comes across their plate in a week in terms of information to digest was that what used to come across in a year, a generation ago. And if that's true for kids, imagine what's true for adults. Our generation has almost endless choices now on how to enjoy our downtime, what we can study, how we create homes, career pursuits. Combine this with the internet and social media, we also get bombarded daily with everyone's opinion on everything. At the same time, we're told that if you just work hard enough and if you just get it all sorted, you can have it all, the perfect holidays, the homes, the careers, the family, the friends. And our ability to sift through all this information, all the choices, and actually make wise choices about what's important in life has simply not kept up, leaving many of us living frantic lives with little clarity about what's truly important. Rates of depression and anxiety are going through the roof. Uh, depression and anxiety has now become the leading cause of loss of productivity in Australia, costing, costing us some 11 to $12 billion. 
And the medical world are now starting to talk about, instead of this ongoing expectation that our lives are going to get longer and longer, as has been the case uh, for the last uh, few centuries, that we actually might turn the corner and because of the way we live life, how we eat, overburdened, frantic, stressed, our life expectancy is actually going to start to get shorter again. Possibility, I'm saying there's a, uh, that discussion is now at least starting to happen. Now, I can't fix all that in one sermon. <laughs> but you do need to know that when it comes to living healthy lives of purpose and meaning, with adequate rest, refreshment, good relationships and living a life full of purpose and meaning, how shall I put it politely, our world has royally screwed us. So as you hear this clear call from God in this series to live life for his glory in all aspects of life, investing time in growing to maturity, deeply valuing your membership in the church, this call to serve him, ministering to one another as we build his church, followed by next week's call of, to expend more of our time and energy praying for opportunities for mission, investing in relationships to see people come to know Jesus, preparing ourselves to give us an account of our faith, working together as a community on mission. If your reaction to all of this, which I suspect actually be many of you, is to kind of do that kind of inner slump in your chair, feeling overwhelmed and crushed, already ready to throw in the towel, you need to hear very clearly the problem is not with Jesus and his expectations of us. That overwhelmed feeling is a sign that we have lost our way in a culture that likes to look like it has it all together, but in reality has no idea what it's doing as it's turned its back on God and the information that we need to prize above all others, his word to us. That amongst the crushing weight of everyone's opinion, that it's God our Father whose opinion we need to treasure the most. Now you may sense I have a lot more to say on this than I do. Uh, coming mid-March, the majority of our community groups kicking off are going to be doing five studies together addressing the purposes of the Christian life. Magnification, maturity, membership, ministry and mission. But there won't be a rehashing of the sermons. What we'll seek to do is flesh out all and start working together to see how we can do this together in very practical ways. It will not be a quick fix. If you can't make a community group, find someone else to do these studies with over the phone, do them over a coffee, do them in your home with a, a friend or a family member. And for those newish to Trinity Inner South, a new membership course is based on these purposes and how it all kind of works together in our church. So before joining a community group, come and join me for four weeks as we work through all this together, and then we'll cite you into a community group. But I want to say, however good or however much progress we make in using our time well and listening to God and living our lives in line with Him, at the end, time is still going to be our most precious resource. So over this year, we're seeking to bring much greater clarity as we pursue the purposes of the Christian life together in the way we talk about and form our teams and how we use our staff team to equip them and work with them well. So that in our serving with the limited time that we have, we're using it really well knowing that we're contributing to the health of the whole and together we're working on serving and building God's church. 
one of our taglines will be serve a small group of people in lots of ways and a large group of people in some specific ways. The small group for many will be our community groups, but there's other ways we can do that as well, where we do pastorally care for one another, growing to maturity together in word and prayer, encouraging one another to live our whole lives for God, on mission together as the priesthood of all believers. And serving a large group of people in specific ways, well, that, uh, some of that is encapsulated in what we do here on Sundays, whether you're serving in music, like many people are today, out leading the kids, putting out chairs, there's lots of roles. And on your seats, you'll all see a brief survey that what we're trying to do at the moment is to broaden our partnership in service in these ways. Post-church planning three weeks ago, the core of people actively engaged in service is quite a bit smaller. And if you're one of those people helping on set up, rocking back to help in minis, one month on, two months off, helping out in different ways in our community through the week, I want to say this survey is not for you. Unless, of course, you'd like to stop doing some things and start doing something else. What we're really trying to do is, as we've done a number of times before quite successfully, is to just share out the load again, to help us kind of uh, share the cost of putting on a service on Sunday with full kids programs twice and uh, great music like we've had this morning with chairs put out and put away and uh, things like that. It's a wonderful opportunity to make a start. You can fill that in today, you can take it home, you can have a think about it and either return it next week or fill it in online. I want to say the real areas of need at the moment are kids' ministry. Uh, kind of seems to be a common thing when we talk about this. We have a very high percentage of kids in our church. And we actually wrote to a whole bunch of people in church about that last week. Uh, that's a ministry where we do want to get to know people first, having spent some time with us and settled in before we then ask. But if you're new and would like to explore serving in kids in your future, feel free to welcome uh, to register an interest there. And uh, we'll be in touch with you in uh, the coming weeks. And the reality is there's a lot of paperwork and police checks and all sorts of things that happen before you can first even have a crack at kids' ministry. Uh, so it would be uh, a wonderful alternate future where we were doing uh, that in advance. Uh, set up and pack up are still some of our hardest roles to fill. And there are other roles like that which, let's be honest, they're a bit like doing the dishes in a family. No one likes to do it, considers it their spiritual gift. But as you know, if you're in a family, these things uh, have to be done for the family to work. We'd love another three or four people to be trained in sound. We're actually uh, quite alarmingly short of community group leaders uh, for this year. We didn't anticipate that one with the particular people that have gone. That, again, isn't on the survey. But we actually have a lot of people who would be well suited to do that, who are already on set up, serving in kids, doing lots of other things as well. So actually helping to serve in one of those other ways that may seem small to you may actually allow us to take the burden off others and allow them to serve as community group leaders this year. Now, I think whilst there's much more to say, I'll just summarise at the moment. I want to say that plenty of places that I could have gone in this uh, was to sort of say that uh, not everything that is uh, ministry is rostered on Planning Centre Online. There's lots of wonderful ways that we can serve each other just by rocking up on a Sunday, being welcoming and friendly and genuine as we turn and talk to each other after the service. We'd call that Ministry of the Pew. Uh, there... 
uh, is a clear call in the Bible for those who have the ability to give generously, to do so, to see God's work uh, built up. So that's a great ministry amongst us. There's lots of informal things, of course, throughout the week that are very important to us. Please don't hear me saying the only ministry that matters is something that you get a PCO request for. But uh, if you feel like I've overlooked something, and there's already a few questions uh, come in from nine o'clock, light up the SMS line and we'll uh, clarify those in a minute. But I think I'll close now with that final encouragement again from Jesus' words. Where Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let me uh, close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for your word to us. We thank you that of all the information we receive in the world, uh, that we have your word to us that has endured uh, down through the generations, uh, through those great technological advances of the printing press and uh, now online, and that it still speaks to us powerfully today. We pray that as this word is uh, presented to us amongst a whole host of information, that we might know and discern that it is very precious to us and that we might look to it for wisdom to how to live in your world today. We pray, Lord, amongst uh, the various uh, opinions and endless choices and and pressure upon us that uh, we might, bit by bit, actually come to treasure uh, your opinion of us more highly and seek to please you that we might uh, seek to live your ways, trusting that Jesus always keeps his promises and that living uh, in accordance with your will, uh, having a servant heart, living our whole lives for your glory, growing in maturity, valuing the membership of your church and being on mission together uh, is not only an obedient response to a loving king, but it is the right response from a king who promises to bless us as we do so. We pray for our disbelieving hearts as we sit here, kind of crushed by the overwhelming expectations of life, that we might see your goodness in this and that you might do a powerful work among us as we meet together and work through these studies, as we talk and as we pray with each other, and that we might be a community that lives for your glory and that it might be evident to others around us that there really is blessing in living our life for you, that this might be a great fuel and, uh, for our mission together and a great blessing to us and bring great glory and honour to you. We ask you to do these great works among us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.